0: Nikki Jesus, control your urges, Nikki. That's what I'm always saying. Hello, Michelle. Hello, Geordie. I'm sorry I just cleared my throat
1: earlier. It sounded it was like disgusting.
0: Oh, it's not that
1: bad. How All are that... you? Yeah. I'm good, thank you. How are you? What's going Great. on? Great. Oh you know, skiing.
0: Oh. The life of Riley. No, oh, do you know why? Nice. I'm a terrible skier and I tried out some new skis. Fuck, it makes a difference. It's like a tennis racket, I suppose. You're only as good as the tools that you use. Well, I think so because I'm all the gear, no idea. But it turns out I had shit gear. Yeah. And then as soon as I put some nice new skis on, I'm, I'm actually not not
1: bad. So oh, well done. Yeah. That's nice, isn't yeah. it? Yeah. You've got time to ski, etc. Fantastic for you. <laughs> How are you? I'm Okay. Great. Nothing to report
0: here, Missy. Do you know what? what? When my sister and I say that, we're like, thank fuck. Because do you know what? The amount of times where where I used to be like, oh, life's boring, got nothing to report. Actually, it's nice. when it's on the steady, yeah. even keel, when there's nothing to report, that's when I'm like, great. No one's dead. Yeah. No one's sick.
1: <laughs> nothing to worry Everyone's about. Everyone's happy.
0: Nothing to worry
1: about. Exactly. So I'm, I'm
0: happy. I'm happy for that. For
1: the even keel these days. Speaking of even keels, should we introduce ourselves to our lovely eavesdroppers just in case they're here for the first time ever? God forbid. You should be here week yeah. on week. We need you. Week after week. I'm Geordie.
0: And I'm Michelle. And you are eavesdroppers. eavesdroppers. eavesdropping
1: eavesdroppin on us. Exactly. You're eavesdropping on us. I'd like to give a little shout out to one of our quiet eavesdroppers in the background. Woo! She's had one before. Her name's Nikki. And I work with her two days a week. Hello, Nikki. She loves it.
0: Oh, hi, Nikki. I'm so glad you're an
1: eavesdropper. You could spread the word. Yes, tell, spread it. Tell all your spread youth, it, Nikki. youthful friends because she's quite youthful. <laughs> tell all your friends. We'd love to have them on board.
0: But you know what? It's interesting because I was talking to a friend of mine, also called Nikki, ah. and I said, "You've got to listen to the podcast." And she said, "Well, what do you talk about?" And I said, "Well, you know, murder." supernatural aliens she's like what the fuck <laughs> she's like i thought you would be talking about restaurants and food and fashion and i was things. like no no <laughs> menstruating forgetting everything <laughs> you know you never know it's a pick and mix with
1: eavesdropping. you never know what you're gonna get it's a pick and mix speaking of all the nickies it's so funny because i was telling my nicky yesterday at mm. work i was telling her about the uh, the tv program that i like to watch i've been devoted to it for many, many years. But now it's kind of jumped the shark. You know what that means, don't you? It means it's kind of gone too far. Lost its its verve Mm. and vigour. It's called Silent Witness, and it's about, you know, these three pathologists and forensics and whatnot, and they all... What is it? The Home Office. They work for the Home Office, the government. And they usually get very involved and help to solve the cases. And often they get kidnapped along the way or shot or blown up along the way and have to change out the characters. And now the one main character that's been in it for years, not forever, but for years, her name's Nikki. So we call it just Nikki now. It's just called Nikki. We don't call it (laughs) Silent Witness. Oh, here comes Nikki. Just call it
0: Nikki. Don't
1: do it, Nikki. Oh, Nikki, you think everybody wants you involved. She has to always be involved in all the police ongoings. It's not necessary, mm. Nikki, just stay in your lab, cut the bodies up, that's what you do.
0: Poor old Nikki, I've seen ads for that, never
1: interested me. Don't I've go there, I've never given it a go. Back in the early 2000s, 2006 say, that kind of timeline, I think that was when it was quite good. And there was a handsome man on it, who of course mm. Nikki has a go at, I mean she can't help herself. Obviously any man that's old enough or young enough to come along that's in her sight, eyeline, she's On him like a car bonnet, I tell you. Nikki, Jesus, control your urges, (laughs) Nikki. (laughs) That's what I'm always saying. So that is not a top tip for TV, guys. Don't watch it if you can help it. There are better things.
0: I did start watching The Traitors. What? Oh. Claudia Winkleman with that's her. That's what uh, it's called. The hairstyle yes. that she's, my God, she's always got that shiny hair, hasn't she? Yeah. It was quite good, backstabbing, yes. but it's all just a game. It's all just a game because our lovely other podcast that we listen to, The Shrine Girls yes. and Boy, they were talking about The Traitors. So I thought, you know what, I'm going to give that a go. <gasps> You know, it was all right for a bit of reality, bit of nothing telly if you just want to switch
1: your mind off. Yeah. I've been advised to watch that by my counselling student colleagues because apparently it's really interesting, the psychology behind it. But I forgot what it was oh, called, you yes. see, Michelle. So. Well, it's amazing who throws who under the bus. Oh, I'd love to see that.
0: It's interesting how they play the game. And mm. I won't reveal who wins. No, don't. But at the very end... It's interesting to see how they reveal themselves. Ooh. So, Is it like Murder in the Dark? I guess a little bit. Yeah. And there are some annoying characters. Of course. And some of them are like, get the hell out. But yeah. The ones you love to Give hate. Give it a go. Yeah. True, and True. True, and True. So, I was listening to one of the episodes where we were obviously talking about Greta Thunberry and her massive takedown of that guy, Andrew Tate, who ended up God knows where. I don't know if he's in jail,
1: custody, whatever. I think they did press charges, yeah. Yeah, good, because he's a fucking sex trafficker. I don't know if he is a sex trafficker. Maybe let's not just say that. Because okay. we might get arrested, Michelle.
0: Okay, well, you know he's an uh, alleged allegedly sex, he's an alleged sex trafficker. So that guy, yeah. if that's true, he's got to go down allegedly somehow. I don't know how this popped up about Greta Thunberg, but yeah, the internet's the internet people. They're saying she's a time traveler from eighteen ninety eight. Oh, what? Who's saying this? Well, the thing is, Geordie, I'm going to put a link to this shit because you're going to freak out when you see it. There's this image of a child who was a gold mine worker from 1898 yeah. and it's gone viral. And honestly, I have seen the picture and it really bloody looks like her. So, it's taken at a gold mine in the Yukon in Canada uh, right at the turn of, of the century. And yeah. this young child basically... Uh, her face. It's Greta. I'm not joking. She has plaits in her hair. And of course, people are like, what the fuck? That's Greta Twinberry. She's a time traveler. She's traveled here from, you know, 1898 to save the planet. Obviously, I don't know about that. But the picture was found because it's part of a set of photographs taken by a Swedish-American photographer called Eric Hegg. And it forms part of the documentary archive at the University of Washington. And all the staff at the University Library know this picture because it is one of the pictorial illustrations of children working in the mines at that time. So it's quite a serious picture. And they think it was discovered because the whole archive has been digitized. And, you know, obviously now there's facial recognition software and they think that software discovered this image thinking wow. it was Greta Thunberg because her face is the face of this
1: child from 1898, I swear to you. Well, she does have a very oldie worldie face, but that's really interesting that she'd raise that right now, Michelle, because I've been wondering about that as well. Well, not so much time travelling, but more like reincarnation. That's what I'm thinking about. So recently I had a conversation with somebody about, it was actually Mill. Hi, Mill, if you're listening. Hi, Mill. Amelia i I know mil she's she's my she's my flatmate at the moment she's staying with us. It was about the Pope, and i don't know why we were talking about the Pope generally, but I used to think that he was the embodiment of Christ, so that he was kind of like the Dalai Lama. I don't know much about it. So I assumed it was something like they were the chosen child or the chosen person that Christ has entered your body. And you know this because of certain secret rituals and all this kind of stuff and the Holy Spirit's within him, which is like, you know, Jesus. The Pope is actually chosen in a more of a political style voting system, I found out by doing a little bit of Googling. And obviously the holy rituals are in place, but they're shrouded in mystery. We'll never know what they are unless we've had a go at trying to be the Pope or somehow involved in the Vatican. But did you know, as a descendant of a Catholic, you may know this, that after the election and the new Pope has been decided, people standing outside the Vatican are waiting to find out. They'll know because a plume of white smoke rises from the Sistine Chapel chimney to indicate that it's been chosen. I did know about that puff
0: of smoke from the Isn't that interesting? Yeah, from the Vatican. Have you been to the Vatican? Yes, I have. I think we've talked about this before. I went there many, 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 many years ago. The only thing I remember is a piece of moon rock that they allegedly took from the moon in 1969 Mm. from that moon moon landing, the fake moon landing, and it's in the Vatican. That Michelle
1: doesn't believe in, but I do. So that's the only thing I remember about the Vatican. But anyway, thinking about the Pope, it got me thinking about a visit you know back in those days when I did go to the Sistine Chapel I before that I'd been to Kathmandu for about six months I think with two of my best friends and we traveled around and we were staying a long time actually in Kathmandu it was in the 90s Darba Square is the place that we would go every day and we had little friends there. We were traveling with some lovely people. We had a really good time. From Darba Square, you could see the palace, which is called the Kumari Gar. And in it is the living goddess called Kumari Devi. Living goddess, I thought to myself, what the fuck is that? A living goddess, yeah. It's a little girl that has a goddess within her. And she, like the Pope, changes out. Every so often, because she's always got to be a little girl. And that is a fascinating idea. And that, Michelle, is what I'm going to tell you about today. Do you know much about it? What, living goddess? Mm.
0: No, look, and I know a very brief bit about the male equivalent of this with like llamas, whether it's a Dalai Lama or the Chinese llamas, you know, whatever. They have to prove that they are the reincarnation and embodiment of these spirits. But the thing is, some Spanish baby was thought to be the next Dalai Lama or one of these llamas. Anyway, he's like now about 18 and he's like, fuck this. He's in Ibiza. He's a musician. He's shaking his maracas. He's like banging on drums. (laughs) He's like, I don't want to be this fucking Dalai Lama. Okay. But I wonder like if he really is, like, does he not have the calling? Do you have to have a calling or does someone else choose Mm. it for you? I don't know enough about it. So I'm very excited to hear.
1: Well, I'll tell you a little bit about what I know. These little girls have to come from a special Buddhist community called the Nua. Nua? I don't know how you pronounce it. N-E-W-A-R. Nua. And they're selected to be the embodiment of the Hindu goddess. So they're Buddhist. But the goddess itself is Hindu until they reach puberty. So they, they only have this job until puberty. Once they start menstruating, that's it. They've got to return to their real lives because that's an indication that she's way too old. In fact, they kind of get rid of them before the period starts. And they have to go back to being a mere mortal again. What the fuck? That's a bit mean. It is. And some of them are as young as two years old, Michelle, when they become the Kumari. Mm. So the Kumari is believed to be an incarnation of the beautiful yet multi-armed Hindu goddess Durga, D-U-R-G-A. There are 12 Kumaris in the Kathmandu Valley with the royal Kumari being the most important one. And she lives in Kathmandu. A lot to remember already. (laughs) I know. So there's lots of them, not just the one. Yeah, okay but this one is the most important. So there's several myths about the Durga goddess and how it came about many, many, many millennia ago. The Durga goddess was visiting the king of the Mala dynasty in Nepal every night to play some kind of game. It was either chess or dice, I'm not sure. Until one night, the king gets a bit fruity (laughs) and tries it on with her, which she does not like. And so she vanishes in a fit of rage because she's a goddess. You don't muck about with goddesses, mate. Get your backs right. He had the urge. Couldn't help himself. Couldn't help himself. He thought he was special because she came to play, you know, games with him every night. But then she appeared to him in a dream afterwards saying, find a child from the Shakya caste. Now, the Shakya are the Buddhists of the community in the newer caste. And she says, I will enter her soul and you can worship her as you worshipped me. So she's saying, just get a child to be the embodiment of me. I will enter her body. Okay. So the king does this and then the living goddess is born, they say. Okay, so that's what they say it happened. So many, many, many years ago, it was seventeen fifty-seven A.D. In fact, Michelle, when this was first thought to have happened, and from now on, the goddess living in a little girl's body is known as Taleju, which is the living embodiment of Durga, the goddess, and only priests can see her in her true form.
0: So, what they rip these little
1: girls away from their families? Pretty much. Rip, maybe not such the word to use because I think these families are honored, probably mm. desperately honored, and really want their little girl to be the living goddess. They want yeah, that. Okay. So, there's a selection process and it's conducted by five Buddhist priests and the Hindu priest in charge of the goddess and the royal astrologer. So there's all these people involved. And I'm not sure if the royal astrologer has much to do with it anymore. Because as you may know, in 2008, the monarchy was abolished in Nepal. Now that's another story. Oh my God. The Nepalese okay. monarchy was crazy. Did you hear? They all murdered each yeah, other. I did hear about this. We, we should it's put a, a good story in. for another time. And in fact, I've been in the presence of the murdered king and queen yeah. and their family. Because they came to visit a place. I think we were in, I can't remember the name of the place we were, but it was their holiday home in the mountains. Ooh. And we'd gone there and there was a lineup of people watching them kind of get out of their cars and walk down a red carpet. And we were—we joined in. <laughs> we got in trouble, though, because somebody said, it was an English person travelling with us, said, off with their heads. What? <gasps> We got in trouble. We're only teenagers, but still naughty. They could land you in jail at that time. I Fucking know. Hell. They've got presidents now. So these girls should be from the newer cast, as I've said. They need to be in excellent health. This is all the requirements. They need to be in excellent health, never having shed blood or been afflicted by any diseases, be without blemish and must have not have lost any of her teeth, including her milk teeth, so this girl's got to be young, right?
0: To never have any diseases. Does that mean she was never allowed to have a cold,
1: or not sure? I guess. cough. Or definitely not that. No, she's got to be unblemished, clean, healthy, all of that, and
0: unblemished. Yep.
1: If you've got a birthmark, not nope. forget it, out of there. or a mole. Yep. Fuck that. Holy shit.
0: Yeah. It's not me.
1: No. Third nipple. No, they won't allow that. Sorry, Michelle. So after passing the eligibility test, they are then examined for the 32 perfections of a goddess. Do you want to know what those things are? I don't have all 32 down here because that would be boring. Just the top ones. The top ones are things like neck like a conch shell. What? I know. the
0: fuck does that even mean? I don't
1: know. A body like a banyan tree. Oh, for God's sake! Yeah. Ridiculous. I think that's quite stumpy. Eyelashes like a cow. Okay, yeah, I'll take that. That's appealing. Yeah, thighs like a re- like a deer. I was going to say a reindeer. Thighs like a deer. I wouldn't mind thighs like a deer,
0: and also like a nice thin knee. I've got fat knees.
1: I'm not going to agree with that. Obviously, knees are your knees are your own business. I think they're probably lovely. They bend, don't they? That's a good thing. Just remember that. Thank your knees for bending,
0: my friend called my knees once jfks and i said what are what? you talking about and he said yeah you got jfks i was like what, what? the fuck He's like yeah jolly fat knees <laughs> and i was like you're a fucking asshole." anyway moving on jolly <laughs> jolly jolly fat knees oh, what
1: a bastard so chest like a lion ew hairy <laughs> <laughs> and a voice as soft and clear as a duck's Wah!
0: Oh, not out. sure if that's
1: soft and clear. How is that soft and clear? I don't know. Do I'm you think they sure. meant a dove, not a duck? No, duck. I've, I've oh. checked. I checked against many sources. Insane. In addition to this, her hair and eyes should be very black, and she should have dainty hands and feet, and a small, well recessed sexual organs. Ew. And a set of twenty teeth. Recessed sexual organs. So she can't have a well, vulva just, hanging out. No, nothing hanging out. It's got to be nice and and petite and dainty, tucked in. Yeah, Like a sports car. (laughs) I don't know what that means. (laughs) Wow. I don't know what that means. The girl is also observed for signs of serenity and fearlessness and her horoscope is examined to ensure that it's complementary to the kings. Well, obviously that is by the wayside. Does it mean the president now? I don't know. I don't like this. I already don't like the sound Uh, of all this. Yeah, yeah. Also, the family need to be good and pure as well. That They look at the family as well if there's any kind of like... Yeah, if they're dodgy. Yeah, any kind of stuff going on in there, then that's Mm. out as well. So once the candidate is chosen, more tests are needed, Michelle. It doesn't stop there. The little girl is taken into the temple and sent into the courtyard of the temple Mm. alone, where she's surrounded by the severed heads of 108 (laughs) buffaloes and goats, which had been sacrificed to the goddess Kali for the Hindu festival of Dashain.
0: Those poor animals. I hope they at least get eaten. What a waste of nature's gifts.
1: But their heads are just popped around her. She's in a darkened room lit only by oil lamps. And there is also the added frightening vision of a load of dancing men with masks on. Fucking hell. And she could be two years old, right? She must be traumatised. Yeah. She's not necessarily two. Sometimes she's older, six, four, any age. If the candidate is truly the goddess, then she will show no fear during this harrowing ritual.
0: Yeah, fair enough. Yeah, okay. I get it. It's... It's a hazing out the uh, the dark. It is
1: hazing. It is yeah. a bit like that. If she does show fear, then another girl is sent in to go through it. And mm-hmm. on and on it goes until one is calm and and relaxed throughout this, this horror.
0: Yeah, well, maybe the family slipped a little valium to the exactly. child.
1: So if you get through that, the next ordeal is to spend a night alone in a room with all these gory heads without showing fear. So she's got to spend a whole night alone with all these and then if she gets through that there's one last one she has to pick out the personal belongings of the previous kamari oh out of an assortment of things laid out before her so if she points out that what used to belong to the previous kamari then that's it the job's hers wow do you want that job i don't know i think they they do and then she has to be purified in order to be the unblemished vessel for the goddess to inhabit so that's when the priests take her through secret tantric rituals to cleanse her body and spirit of her past experiences. And once those are completed, I don't have the details of that because they're secret. The goddess Durga or Talaju enters her and she is presented as the new Kamari. She's dressed up and got makeup on like the Kamari. And then she leaves the Talaju temple and walks across Darba Square on a white cloth. To the Kamari Gar, which is the palace, mm-hmm. which is also going to be her home for the duration of her divinity, I suppose. Well, until she gets her rags. Exactly. Until she gets her period, her time is up. But until that time, her feet never touch the ground again. She's carried around on one of those um, those um golden, what are they called? Palanquins? Oh, I know what you mean. I- She's got ceremonious duties to, to carry out. She's carried... Yeah. She never puts her feet on the ground.
0: Do you know what? I would love to read a testimony of these little
1: girls after they get
0: their period and then they're like, here's the ground. Fuck off. You're no longer. Mm -hmm. What
1: happens then? Well, there's a book. Is there? There is a book. Oh, my God. Yes, there is. written by one of the former Kumari princesses called Goddess to Mortal. I will send you something to put the link in. I will. I'm interested in that. And some of my info is about this. So I will tell you the family can visit once a week and then all the people who come to see her because it's good luck to see the the Kamari. Yeah. And one look from her can signal good fortune. A smile is even better. But watch out if you're sitting with her, like with an audience with her and she cries or laughs loudly because that could mean serious illness or death. Oh. Also, if she weeps or rubs her eyes, it's imminent death. And if she trembles, it means imprisonment. If she claps her hands, then there's a reason to fear the king. So I think they have to rewrite that one because there's no king anymore. If she's picking at the food offerings Mm. that you've brought her, that would be financial losses. Oh, oh, dear. And if she's silent and hardly does anything, then it's usually good news and your wishes will all be granted. Bloody hell. Mm -hmm. That's a lot of burden of responsibility on that kid. Yeah. But I guess she doesn't know those things. Maybe she doesn't even know them. She's just got to do her own thing when she's there. I don't know.
0: Well, she's in, she, inhabited by the spirit of goddess,
1: the Durga, the Durga. goddess. Durga. Yes, Talajoo. Yeah. So she's cared for by caretakers who attend to her every need and whim while guiding her through the ceremonial duties. Now, these people have been in their jobs for years and years and years. Okay. Like father to son carried down they bathe her they dress her they do her makeup they prepare her for visitors and all the ceremonial occasions and like i said one of these caretakers is a guy called Gotam shakya who's from the same family in the same caste. Mm-hmm. he's been looking after kamari since she was a child and his job was passed down to him from his father since the very first kamari that's happened father to son father to son right since the first one okay so he's got no life either no choice. No, but he loves it. He's happy. Yeah, he loves good. it. All right. So they don't go to school, these little living goddesses, or the goddess at the time. She's privately tutored. She has carefully selected friends from the same cast, but they're told how to deal with her. So if they upset her, that's not allowed. They've got to play the games that she wants. Mm. You know, she must be a nightmare to be friends with. You just said to me you'd love to know what it's like for a previous Kamari to spill the beans on what it was like. Now, there's one here called Chinira Bajracharya who's now 19. She was just five when she became the Kamari and her aunt before her was also Kamari. Okay. Not straight before her, but down the line. And she remembers her elimination round. There were seven girls handed grains and they were studied for their reaction. That's something that she remembers. And then she remembers some of the girls becoming fevered and some crying, but she only turned a slight blush colour and that's what got her through that particular round. Right. Right. And she said that when the goddess entered her body, she said she felt hot and her body warmed up, but it wasn't an unpleasant feeling. That's interesting that she says she did feel like she was inhabited. Well, it, a lot of it could be a suggestion, the power of suggestion as well, couldn't it? There are only children and the adults around them believe this.
0: I once did this Reiki course and this Reiki ceremony where it was really intense. I didn't know what to expect. And the Reiki master does this thing where they actually break open this spirit inside you and yes. I felt this weird breaking of something inside me oh. and this warmth going right up my spine and I was like what the fuck is happening to me I what have I signed up for when you're not expecting
1: it 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 really does come as a shock and wow. they didn't tell us oh expect this expect that well I think it's probably different for every person isn't it yeah it was yeah. really intense Another girl, Pretty Shakya, began her reign at three years old and ended it at 11 when she hit puberty. And she said she would have to sit for six or seven hours as a child attending ceremonies, but she had the patience for it. And she said when she was retired at 11, the search had already been on for a replacement because it's bad luck if she starts her period while she's um, serving as the right. goddess. And poor Preeti said she was heartbroken to leave the, the palace and the people looking after her had become her family. Mm. and But she was happy to be back with her own family. But it was difficult. For example, you said before, what would it be like going back? Well, she said she got tired walking around because yeah, she cool. wasn't used to walking. Yeah. Yeah. Like walking to school as well. She had to go to school. She said after her retirement, she realized the world was so cruel. And she said, teachers started scolding me as I was a little poor in my studies and when I first went to school one of my classmates said I looked so fat and at the time I was completely broken because nobody used to talk to me in that manner Oof. she did eventually integrate but some of the myths surrounding the Kumari have affected her life going forward like for example if an ex-Kumari marries her husband will die shortly after so no one's going to be lining up to marry an ex-Kumari oh my and they all God. know it was you Yeah, you can't pretend it wasn't you. Shit. And then there's another belief that the Kamari caused 2015's earthquake in Nepal because a week before the devastating earthquake, the city museum in Kathmandu exhibited something from artist Sudeep Bala, which was a picture of a living goddess with a condom packet on her head and believers were absolutely beside themselves. though so enraged. They felt the earthquake was a reaction from the goddess. Oh, my God. 80% of temples and historic structures in both Bhaktapur and Kathmandu-Daba squares have been destroyed, which is horrifying to me because I saw it before that. Mm. But the Gar, it was still standing at the end. That's the kind of thing that people really do become suspicious about. So like you, Michelle, there are campaigners for child rights who have a lot of issues with the practice of Kamaris, and they believe their childhood is being stolen. But the believers themselves and the people of Kathmandu who believe in this – They think it's a tradition worth keeping. And like I said before, there is an autobiography by Rashmila Shakya, who became Kamari aged four. She wrote of the lack of education and difficulty re-entering normal life. And since then, Kathmandu city budget now allows for a pension to be paid and education to be mandatory for the Kamari. So they look after them a little better nowadays. I think they have to. It's about the divine female energy. And I kind of like that. I'd just like to end this little story here, Michelle, by going back to what I started by saying, you know, the embodiment of Christ. Of course, there have been other people throughout history who believe that they were a reincarnated version of mostly Jesus. Okay. Mostly Jesus. (laughs) OK. Who else is there? Who else is there to be? I'll tell you. So, for example, we've got, was it Ted Bundy? Ted Bundy didn't come up. But here's a quick rundown of some false prophets who believed that they were reincarnated versions of Jesus. So David Icke was one who said he's that lizard loving ex-footballer who on the Terry Wogan show back in the, I think it was the 80s or 90s, he said that he was the son of God. So I guess that means that he's probably thinks that he's Jesus. Charles Manson claimed to be in the reincarnation of Jesus Christ, but whether or not he thought that is another story because he could have just said it for his followers benefit because he was really enjoying manipulating people. Yeah. So it could have been that. There was the Australian yoga teacher, Anne Hamilton Byrne, who was known as the cult leader of the family. She and her inner circle believed themselves to be the reincarnations of not only Jesus, that she was Jesus, but also the other people in her inner circle were believed to be the apostles of Jesus. And she also claimed to be a living God just like the Kamari. And then there was Marshall Applewhite. I like to say white, Applewhite, a.k.a. Doe to Bonnie Nettles T, the founders of the Heaven's Gate cult, who famously committed suicide en masse in 1997 to coincide with the closest passing to Earth of the Hale-Bopp comet, which they felt they were ascending to by all dying. So he said he was Jesus.
0: It's interesting. We've done podcasts on pretty much every single one of these
1: people. I'll have to link the shit out of that. Link, 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 link. And of course, you have Jim Jones, the founder of the cult, the People's Temple, who he convinced to drink the Kool-Aid, his followers, in Jonestown, Guyana in 1978, thus murdering all these people. I didn't get the numbers down, but there was a lot of them. And he said he was not only Jesus reincarnated, but also Buddha, Lenin. And the Father Divine, who was also another cult leader and a civil rights activist who died in 1965, also thought he was Christ as well.
0: He's a reincarnated schizophrenic.
1: Basically, yeah, all over the show. How do they all
0: live in the same body?
1: I have no idea, but I will say one more thing, Michelle. Mm. When I spoke about this to people that I was doing this story, it was Mill, it was Mill again. (laughs) She pointed out that there was a documentary film that she saw called Kamari. Directed by an American filmmaker, Vikram Gandhi. Now, this is not what I expected her to say at all. I thought she was going to talk about, because there are YouTube videos of Kamari living goddesses and whatnot. But I thought she was going to say that. Instead, she said it was about an American filmmaker called Vikram Gandhi. He pretends to be a guru in a satire on the New Age movement. So he grows his hair. He puts on a fake Indian accent. He's already of Indian descent or something. And... I didn't see the film because she only told me about it just last night. So I haven't had time to look. But I looked at the trailer and I'm going to send you the link. It looks amazing. It shows his transformation from American dude to Indian accented long haired Sri Kumari, who is from a made up village in India, very much like Borat. And it is funny to begin with. And then he gathers followers in Arizona who absolutely are devoted to him by the look of the trailer. And then this experiment gets out of hand and I think that he kind of starts to believe it himself a little bit because there are people who are worshiping trailer, him. weeping, how oh uh, he's God. changed their lives. And I think that it might touch him a little bit in that way as well. I think he starts to get the lines of reality blurred as well. That sounds
0: amazing, Wow. Well, thanks so much for that story. I'm actually intrigued by not only the kamaris and what happens after they go from girls to women but yeah also that documentary i think it's well worth a watch Dropping. 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 so reincarnation it, for me it's such a fascinating topic and obviously you know when i was talking earlier about greta tunberg it did get me thinking could reincarnation be time travel
1: in a different form. Well, you said that earlier. Yes. Well, strange. I mean, look, if you think
0: about it too much, it is kind of a head because, because yeah. obviously the only proof, and I say that in inverted commas, of reincarnation is the memories of the person talking about their experience or memories of their past life and who yeah. they think they used to be. Whereas obviously time travel is essentially a person with the same life moving about within time right yeah but they're essentially just one person i don't know like i was thinking about this last night if you kind of suspend your disbelief a little bit and think time travel does exist right so that's the first you've got to have that as a basis okay you've got to believe that yeah? yeah can you reincarnate into the past hmm
1: so which came first Greta Thunberg or the little gold miner? Well, yes. Or can you reincarnate into the future? Well, yeah, that's kind of how I feel it goes. If you think of it as a linear thing, you imagine it goes from little girl in 1920s to modern day Greta, not backwards.
0: If you're reincarnating, you're reincarnating into someone at birth.
1: So, But if they were born before you, oh, I don't know. I'm confused.
0: Yeah, that's the thing because... And it's crazy on so many levels and this is why it's a bit of a head fuck because, like I said, if you do believe in time travel and you do believe in reincarnation, then if you think a little bit about spirit and the idea of reincarnation, which is that when you die, your spirit leaves your body and then I guess turns into infinite energy and then gets sucked back into another body for another shot at life, right? Yeah. If you believe that, then the spirit realm exists outside of what we know as the space-time continuum and okay. linear time. It's completely separate. And the thing is that time travel sort of exists outside of that too. So maybe you could be reincarnated into the past. I actually just don't know. And the more I think about it, the more it kind of confuses me. What's interesting for me is thinking about consciousness and not necessarily reincarnation, but you know, what it means to be conscious. And we did talk about this when I'd mentioned about, you know, general anaesthetic and how when you go under, it's the closest thing to death. Any of us will probably ever have a memory of experiencing because we have no memory of what happens once we're out. And in some ways I was thinking about virtual reality and how that's a bit of a mind fuck as well because if you're playing a game that's set in another era in the past, then you exist in the now to play the game but your mind is in the virtual reality of a different era so you're alive but your conscious perception is that you're somewhere uh, else other than where your body is uh-huh. it's really tricky and my head was just going round is around in circles when i was thinking about this i'm just going to park that and go back to reincarnation because obviously science believes that your biological death is you know when your heart stops that's the end of human experience the end. Whereas yeah. like we've just talked about, if you're a spiritualist, you most likely believe that our bodies are just meat suit that houses. I this hate that. eternal. I know it's horrible, but it's like, it is a suit of like flesh. Well, like, I mean, what are we? It's gross. So this body houses this eternal energetic soul and consciousness. And then we body hop once our previous body has died for reincarnation. And, you know, we do on this podcast, look at things like consciousness and near-death experiences and can psychedelics affect that paranormal stuff supernatural stuff are they all connected and again I don't really have any answers Uh to this but I do like to think about it because the more I think about it the more I think there are all these gray areas of possibility truths that we might never uncover Because you can't prove it because you have to die to prove it (laughs) and then then it's Uh game over. But there have been studies by people who use hypnotherapy to uncover subconscious memories of past lives and memories actually of the time in between those two lives. There are three hypnotherapists called Dolores Cannon, Dr. Ian Stevenson and Dr. Michael Newton. Together, they collectively have more than 50 years of like client session information of people who are under hypnosis and talking about being reincarnated and past lives. What these three believe is that when people are under hypnosis, they're not dreaming and they're not hallucinating but they're in a state where they're not capable of lying. When I think about that, they might not be lying, but they might be misinterpreting whatever they're seeing or thinking they're remembering. So that said, Dr. Newton reckons a lot of his clients have been through these past life experiences, but they're really hesitant to talk Mm. about it or reveal too much, which he thinks... Over his the course of all his study into this, he thinks it's like there's this universal code of ethics that you're not meant to like talk about shit. Like what happens in reincarnation club stays in reincarnation <laughs> club yeah. kind of thing. And he says that over the years he's been conducting his studies, he's seen a lot of similarities that makes him feel that reincarnation is real. Mm-hmm. And he's come up with this theory on the process that our soul goes through from the moment we die to the moment we're born. And like I said, this is based on hypnosis and all of these clients that he has spoken to who have believed this. So this is based on what he thinks is empirical evidence. To be honest, I feel like it's a little thin, but I'm going to go through these stages because I think they're really interesting. So the first stage is death and departure. And he says a lot of his clients remember looking down at their body And some people say that after they supposedly died, they stuck around and they would look down on themselves and their loved ones until after their funeral.
1: My God, that's a long time.
0: Yeah. And then they would feel a pull towards a light and they would transition through a tunnel. And that's the second stage, which is
1: the gateway to the spirit world. I'm feeling a bit nervous hearing this. Yeah, it's
0: really, really fascinating. Just stick with me. He says this gateway to the spirit world is where his clients reported moving through the tunnel and reaching the light at the end. And some say the tunnel is above their bodies. Others say they have to travel above the earth to reach their tunnel. But after they reached the end of the tunnel, his clients almost always describe the same thing but in different ways like they see beautiful scenery or they hear beautiful music and dr newton thinks that these things are happy memories from the life they just lived which gives them an anchor kind of a f- familiarity during this tunnel process right. although he did say that some of his clients who were he thought younger souls yeah. can feel sad or confused during this tunnel transition time and that's when he says those people and in fact most of them who are going through this tunnel have guides who come Mm. to assist them and comfort them through this tunnel experience then the third stage is what he calls homecoming and he reports that a lot of his clients say they were met by souls who are close to us and he thinks that it's during this stage that the soul begins to remember more about the afterlife and also their previous lives. And that's when they begin to feel more ease with this process ah. of reincarnation, which then leads to the fourth stage, which is orientation. Huh. And this is where he, he says his clients say, their soul lets go of any regrets or doubts or sadness or traumatic memories for, from the previous mm. life so the soul can be restored to its original vibration he also says it's in this stage where the soul talks to their guide about what happened in their life and if there are any lessons that need to be repeated in the next life so if you kind of just keep fucking up, you're just going to keep mm. repeating until you learn the lesson.
1: Well, this is very much like the Buddhist belief of um, karma, isn't it? I guess. Or? And nirvana. So you keep being re- reincarnated, reincarnated. Um, you keep re- learning, you know, learning, learning. learning, And then when you finally have no more lessons to learn, that's when you reach nirvana.
0: Yeah, maybe. I, I think. Because then once you've let go of all those regrets and doubts and figured out if there are any any lessons you need to keep learning. You go into the fifth stage, which is transition. And this is where he says his clients describe seeing souls all moving through beautiful tunnels of light to their destination. His clients describe this moment as really exciting because they say there's no darkness. It's just pure light. Hmm. But it's also where you meet up with your soul family, who are souls who are at a similar stage of evolution. And maybe you're right. Maybe it is this idea of Nirvana. And these people are the souls that you've shared previous lives with. Yeah. And they are the souls who you keep reincarnating with over and over huh. again. Wow! And you're all playing roles with each other, such as partners, brothers, sisters, parents, children. And huh. I'm just going to bring you back. Do you remember we have talked about reincarnation and kids seem to be the ones that always remember these lives. Yeah, And we've talked about people who have kids at the age three and four, four seems to be the hot zone for this. They turn to their parents and they say, I used to be your mummy. Right. Yeah. I used to be your daddy. Yeah. You hear this a lot. Go on the internet. It's everywhere. And this transition, fifth stage, if what Dr. Newton is saying is true, then you're playing a game. Yeah. It's like you're playing a game and you sounds your like little a little group. Yeah,
1: To me, it sounds like some sort of Sims or something, you know, like, yeah, it just sounds like some sort of like alternate reality game or what do you call it? Like VR.
0: What's that called? Virtual reality yeah. game.
1: Virtual reality, virtual game. reality yeah. which
0: is what I talked about before. You know, like your body's here, but your consciousness is somewhere else. Like it is a real head fuck for me. So after you go through this fifth stage of transition where you're hanging out with all these other souls that you're swapping roles with. Yeah. He says the sixth stage is placement. And it sounds a bit like school. Yeah. Because you then learn about the other soul's previous experiences. And this is where he says his clients report projecting into specific scenes from their previous life Hmm. and into other people's minds because then they can learn and feel what others felt to learn how our actions have hurt someone else in a previous life so you're kind of you're learning and then the seventh stage is life selection and this is where he says his clients say they move to a larger sphere of light which is where they choose their next life path. They say you're able to see multiple paths and you're able to temporarily project into these lives to feel which one feels right for you, for your next reincarnation. And he thinks this is also the stage where we can fast forward through a little bit of a life's timeline to see what will happen if there are any kind of tragic events. And he says it's where some souls will choose a challenge
1: in the next life or they can opt out. Because you have spoken about this before where you've said that there's been babies born and their, their reincarnation didn't suit them so they swapped it out. You've told this on another episode.
0: Yeah, and he says that this is what's happening. But also what he says by challenges is that you might choose a life where you, are, you have a disability Or some kind of physical or mental challenge. And these are all of these things. Like you're
1: choosing it. Wow.
0: Because you want to challenge yourself. Because maybe your last reincarnation was too easy. And you're like, oh, I need to challenge. Who
1: chooses Ted Bundy or Charles Manson?
0: (laughs) Oh, God. Maybe to learn these lessons. I don't know. It's really fascinating to me. And then he says the eighth stage is you choose a body. Because he says his clients report that your physical appearance really affects the experience of your life. And this got me thinking like, fuck, you know, what would you choose? Because I always moan about how I have, you know, thin hair. Like, why did I choose that? Is that to like... Maybe the hair wasn't an issue. Well, maybe it wasn't. I don't know. But I, th- I think it's really interesting that you can choose to be gorgeous, not so attractive, your skin color your height, your weight, all of these things. That sounds
1: bizarre, Michelle.
0: What's this guy's credentials? They're all hypnotherapists. And this is all based on anecdotal evidence of...
1: Their clients and how many clients do you speak to? Lots. Yeah, it's a bit thin. I told you,
0: the, the details are a bit thin, but I found it very interesting. It is interesting
1: to listen to, but it's also a bit of a mind fuck when it gets to those kind of nitty gritty. And you can choose your skin colour. Oh, and you can choose if you have a disability or not. And sometimes you choose to because it, it's it's a challenge. It's a challenge. You don't want to have an easy ride. Sounds a bit weird. Well,
0: this is just what he says his clients... I know you
1: didn't make it up. ...have talked
0: about. I haven't, but (laughs) I found it really interesting. Then he says the ninth stage is preparation and embarkation, where once you've chosen your body and your life path... You choose how you you die. ...you then meet up with... Well, you meet up with this soul group, who are the people that you're playing the roles of the next life with, and you do a bit of planning and you apparently create cues and synchronicities that kind of guide you Wow. i mean is this deja vu is this moments where you're like i've done this before or connections that you have with someone where you're like i've met you before i mean i think we've all felt those things where you you're like fuck i know you or i i feel like we've had some experience before yeah we've all come across people so apparently there are cues that you connect with people Amazing. who are your yeah. soul group. Mm. There are also higher level guides that help to plan out specific symbols that we will see in our reincarnated life okay. or here that will trigger certain thoughts and actions at specific times. Mm. And that is really full on to me because then that feels like we don't choose life. It's all preordained. Yeah. I don't know. But then he says that, clients say after the synchronicities have decided you then meet up with your soul family you go over some goals and plans Mm -hmm. for the next life and you're also encouraged to have patience to hold true to the values trust in yourself um, through difficult situations and you're told to avoid overindulging in anger and negativity Okay. Well, these are all good. These are all uh, lessons, lessons yeah. to learn, isn't it? And then the last stage is rebirth. Okay. Where the clients report traveling back to Earth through the same tunnel they left in. You enter into the mother's womb, mm-hmm. and you choose the mother. You choose who right. you want to be. Yeah. Like reborn to, and he says that the clients reckon until the age of five, the soul is able to leave, the body and hmm. travel and meet up with the other souls, in your soul family. Wow. Uh, to talk about what's going on, but then you snap back into the body of the baby Mm. if the baby is in any kind of physical danger or stress. And that it's during those first few years that the soul works to integrate its energy with the brain. So what do you think of that? I think that's insane.
1: I think it's (laughs) quite
0: wild, but also... So many of reincarnation stories all happen before the age of five.
1: But there is something in it, definitely. There are a few triggers in there, I think, that have reminded me of other stories that we've listened to, talked about, Mm. um, watched documentaries on, Mm. stories we've heard, films, you know, fiction that's been created out of a lot of the stuff that you've just told me. Yeah, But it's all coming from somewhere. And I wonder whether it's just people making sense of, I don't know, memories or I don't know.
0: I don't know. It's weird. Because we have talked a lot about kids are the ones
1: most in tune with their past lives
0: because they don't even understand the concept of reincarnation. All they know is that they have memories of when they were someone else. And pretty much in all the cases I've read, the kids don't even think it's weird. You know, they just talk about it like, yeah, well, that's who I was before. Or things like, that's where I used to live, or I used to work there. They just come out with these statements of fact, which absolutely confound their parents and yeah, sure you know inevitably but, there does come a point where they don't remember these past lives anymore or th- and they don't talk about it anymore
1: yeah exactly and it's mm. amazing isn't it it reminds me of when we were talking about um the little boy who said that's the park i used to play in when um, i had a different mum the mum with the, c- with the pretty hair yeah she managed to trace it back to another little boy who had died some years before she found out all to be all the things he was saying were true
0: so When I was looking into this, there was this case of a woman called Riss White. Now, she actually had this post on TikTok that went viral in September 2018 because her four-year-old started talking about her past life. So it was September the 11th. And in America, there are always lots of memorial posts about 9-11 and lots of discussions about, you know, Twin Towers. And on this particular day, Rhys was messing about on social media. You know, she saw a lot of posts about 9-11. Her four-year-old daughter saw some of these pictures of the Twin Towers and she pointed to the North Tower and she said to her mum, I used to work there. Riz was like what the fuck and she apparently said to her daughter when and the daughter just said before and then she went on to say to her mom that one day she was working in the north tower and the floor got really hot so she stood on her desk because the floor was too hot and then she said she and her friends were trying to get through the door but they couldn't open the door so she jumped out the window and flew like a bird oh my god that's what she told her mom. Ugh. And obviously her mom, Rhys, was horrified by this. And she insists her daughter had never heard anything about 9-11 before. So oh, for her daughter Jesus. to say something like that was that's really on. shocking. Yeah, And look, the thing is, if you dig around on the internet, you can find quite a few cases of kids saying that they died in those 9-11 World Trade Center attacks. Yeah. So... One day, there's this woman called Rachel Nolan. And she asked her four-year-old son, Thomas, and again, like I said before, four years old. This seems to be the
1: hot zone yes, for this shit. the hot zone.
0: So, Rachel uh, asked Thomas, what do you want to be when you grow up? And he said, I don't want to be a firefighter because I've always been a firefighter. And I'm already a firefighter. And Rachel's like, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah, whatever. And then Thomas went on to say, I used to go to work in the morning. And in the knee, in the evening, I'll take off my fire proximity suit. He's four years old, and he's saying that, which is a really specific thing for a yes. kid to say. And the mum's like, uh, "What? What? How does he even know the word proximity?" So then Thomas would also say things like. I used to use an axe to check if there was fire behind walls. And then I would also use the same axe to escape if there was fire danger. And then he would give super detailed accounts of how he would use the axe and where and how he would put out fires. And even though Rachel most of the time would think like, where the hell is he getting this from? She just thought he had a wild imagination until one day... Thomas saw a picture of the World Trade Center in a magazine oh and he turned to Rachel and said, bad men burnt those buildings and people had to jump out and I couldn't help. There were people waiting for firefighters and they were waiting for me, but I couldn't get there to help them. And no, then man. he gave precise details of the model of the truck he used when he was a firefighter and it oh was the God. exact same truck used by firefighters in Manhattan, Mm -hmm. in New York, in 2001 at the time of 9-11. Then he also said he would ride in the front cab of his fire truck, even though he wasn't the chief firefighter. And he talked about having a friend called Mike, who was also a firefighter, but was on a different truck. He gave Rachel, apparently, loads of really precise information about the 9-11 attacks, and he yeah. said he died while trying to save people from the World Trade Center. And then he didn't know if Mike survived. He was talking that he died and he didn't know what happened to his friend Mike. It's okay. really, really sad. Oh and then God. the last little snippet I'm going to tell you about 9-11 Reincarnation Kids. is about a woman called Lucia who says she believes her four-year-old is the reincarnation of someone who worked in the Twin Towers. And she mm. believes this because she says one day when her son saw a picture of the Twin Towers, he pointed to a very specific window on one of the towers and he said that's where he worked in that office. And yeah. then he told his mum that he felt the building fall oh my God. and that he was inside and he died. And then he turned to his mum, Lucia, and said, and mum, I'm still buried there. <gasps> I know, I know, oh, I know, I know, God. I know. And look, there's another really famous account of a child called Cade who basically told his mum Molly that he had an office in the North Tower, and he pointed out the window. He said from his window he could see the Statue of Liberty, and that he had worked in the in the army in the military. And then he started talking to Molly one day about his past life. And he said he was honorably discharged from the US military. And on the day of 9-11, he said the ceiling above him collapsed and he couldn't get out and get to the stairs in the fire escape. And Molly is like, fuck man, that's really specific. So she hunted down. Was there anyone working there? And Mm. then she said, do you remember your name? And he said, yes, mom, I remember my old name. My name was Robert Patterson. Oh, my goodness. So she was like, fuck, I've got to check this out. So Molly went and investigated whether or not there was somebody called Robert Patterson who was working yeah. in the Trade Center. So she went through the records and there was a guy called Robert Patterson who was a veteran of the U.S. Air Force who did work in the North Tower. He was on the 110th floor. On the day of the attack, and he died in 9 11. And it was like tick, 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 tick.
1: Wow. I don't know what to think about that. Well, they're chilling stories, absolutely. Just the fact it's so vivid and it brings you back to the horror Mm. of watching those towers collapse and those people jumping. I know. I mean, I'll never forget watching that unfold. And I'm sure the people involved will never forget it. To have four year old children talking about it like it happened to them that's shocking. Yep. And I don't know where that's coming from. I've got no answer. And it
0: checked out. Reincarnation.
1: Well, is it a thing or is it some weird kind of, I don't know, telepathy? Honestly,
0: it just fucks with my head. It fucks with my head. I'm exhausted from even thinking about it.
1: You'll have to have a little lie down.
0: I do. I need a cup of tea and a lie down. (laughs) And honestly, um, eavesdroppers, if you have any thoughts about this, please get in touch. It's so fascinating to me. We'd love to hear.
1: Your thoughts, your stories. So For sure Mm. Now we've got to say Wherever you are Whatever you do Just Just keep keep eavesdropping 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 Eavesdropping